Uh, we are starting a brand new series. It's a brand new series, and we decided to be super creative with the title so that, you know, it's all clouded in mystery um, as to what we're going to be talking about. And we wanted to make sure you understood that we are going to be talking about why we tithe. Now, that's a statement. That's a very strong statement in terms of why we tithe, talking about the collection of God's people, talking about the people here at Journey Church. Um, and in order to kind of walk through the, que- the, the statement, which is where we want to go over the next two weeks, uh, we have to ask the question, that's where we start, as to why do we tithe? And the answer to the question is pretty simple. Uh, we I actually don't. Okay? Most of us actually don't. The majority of Christians, the majority of believers actually don't. And so uh, we don't necessarily see that as, as, as something as a, to slam people on. Like the, the, over the last 10 to 20 years, there's an increasing amount of, of legitimate ignorance when it comes to people, uh, young adults starting to adult in their own life and Christian life and in their families. And they're coming into churches and a part of communities where they have never been taught how to do this. They don't understand what tithing is. They never saw it modeled for them from their parents. They don't really understand the, the, the purpose for it because they've seen some bad examples. And, and maybe they were taught it, but they weren't taught it in a way that was very healthy. And, uh, and so they really just don't. That's kind of the answer. They really just don't. We all tend to handle and, and deal with our money in a very similar fashion. And the reason I want to address that today is because from a practical standpoint, we need to understand why God created the system he created and how it's supposed to work in terms of how we make it work. So the answer to the why do we, do we tithe, most of us don't. Some do give, but very few actually tithe. So some give, but few tithe. And here's how that actually uh, works. I just kind of set this up as a real simple uh, illustration that I'll use over the next couple weeks. Here's Jesus. This is not sacrilegious. It's all I had. Okay, there he is. Okay, um, that represents God. So well, most of us live off of a percentage of our income no matter what, just depending on where you live. It's just depending on how you do it. It's, it's, a, it's a percentage. Um, and we know there's certain things that have to be done. Okay, in terms of how we use our money. Now, I'm going to use $5,000 as an example. This might just be an example for a monthly wage household uh, income. Uh, maybe that for you is something that takes, you know, six weeks to two months to three months to earn. That's fine. Uh, we have people in our church, that's a one or two week uh, uh, allowance in terms of uh, household income. So it's kind of a broad range, but I want to use it as, a, as an easy example of what we do. Now, what we believe firmly is that God really is in favor of all of us um, living and eating indoors. Do you all agree? Nod your head. Yes? Okay. So that's a big amount of chunk of money that goes to uh, kind of household expenses, food, your home, things like that. Um, Most of us, again, uh, try to put something away, whether it's through retirement, through work, or savings, and you're very, maybe you're very diligent about that through budgeting, or maybe it's just something you desire to do and you do a little bit less often, but you still do it. Uh, most of us have uh, some sort of car uh, that we use, and if you're in live in Lake Norman, it's usually a white SUV uh, most of the time. Uh, that's just that's just true. Um, that's just the way that works. Uh, for most of us, again, there's medical expenses depending on how old you are. Uh, sometimes that kind of gets a little higher than you want it to be, but there's medical expenses as well. Uh, for those of you that have children, uh, children cost money, and the older they get, the more money they actually cost. So there's our children, and we know we have to clothe them and feed them and take care of them uh, as well. And then we have a lot of other options, but for most of us, uh, these all kind of break up between 
uh, sports, uh, kind of recreation, because we live in a very recreational culture. If you have kids, um, it's a big part of who they are in terms of, ex- ex- I would say this is your miscellaneous and extracurricular uh, activities. Uh, then you also have travel, because we're in a very mobile culture. So, you know, you want to go away for the weekend at least once a month or so, and maybe you're saving up to put some money aside for, uh, for maybe a bigger trip, some bigger vacations uh, that you see in your future. And then also, you know, we have uh, some fun money. We want to be able to be, you know, there's entertainment, there's Olaf right there, you know. Um, so you want to be entertained. There's some elements of that that, you know, go out to dinner, you want to see a movie, you want to just have some, some fun money. And then usually, you know, no matter what happens, sometimes the car needs a repair. Uh, sometimes something happens in the home that needs some extra income. And then most of the time, it's usually our children. Again, go back to children. Uh, maybe that's something, you know, they get to buy some new jackets because of the winter storm that's coming, right? So something along those lines. This is how most of us, again, most of us, this is how most of us deal with our money on a daily and monthly and yearly and just life basis. And so when I ask the question, like, why do we tithe, where the answer is most of us don't, maybe some of us give a very few tithe, giving usually looks like this for most people. They usually try to take something out of one of these categories. I mean, they can't not clothe their children, so we agree with about that, right? But they usually try to take something, even if it's a little bit, and they want to give it, all right? And sometimes that's not that consistent because it's just whether or not you have any extra at the end of the you know, thing or whether it's, you know, maybe you go out and tip God on the way out the door, you know, because you got served real good, this, you know, today, and so you kind of tip them on the way out. And, and sometimes it's a commitment. I mean, $100 is nothing to sneeze at in terms of a $5,000 income. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's more than a gym membership for most places. That's, that's something you maybe could, could choose to give on a regular basis. Maybe you've, ever, you've taken a step, and this is a commitment. This is a priority for you, and you've started to give uh, to the church, which is great. But the reality is, is that no matter how you do this in terms of some give, it's not really the system that God created. It's not ultimately what God wants for you in terms of the system that he created for your benefit. And because of that, because of how we see money and because of how we view money and because of how all of us just kind of manage money, we have to talk about what God created, what he designed, what did he put in place around this topic to help us understand this whole idea of tithing. Now, I'll, this is going to be a combination of practical stuff as well as some in-depth teaching as to the why behind this. That's what we're going to spend time on today because the why is important. If you've been here and you're like, hey, Matt, I've been tithing, you know, uh, my whole life. I've been tithing for 87 years and I've got this down and you know what? Goody for you. Okay, that's, that's great. The majority of the room doesn't understand this and doesn't get it because they really were not taught this in a healthy way. So that we have to, as a church, we do not take it for granted. We have to spend a couple of times at least a year to talk about this and to help people remember and understand why we do what we do. Now, Jesus, when he came to earth and he spent time in his ministry, just because the whole Bible references this, but Jesus had to spend a lot of time talking about money. He had to use it as an example every time. I'll give you some stats. Um, when it comes to the Gospels, Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven or hell, all right? which is a pretty big deal because that's what the church usually spends a lot of time talking about. But Jesus spent more time talking about money. 40% of the parables in the Gospel have to do with, it, you know, with, with a lesson being about money or money was used as the example for the lesson he wanted to talk about. Matthew 
has more in it than all the other three Gospels. And isn't that amazing that Matthew, a tax collector, would have been tuned in to all the lessons that Jesus taught about money. When it comes to the entire Bible, in terms of the entirety of Scripture, just to give you an example, prayer and faith, there are 500 verses that talk about prayer and talk about faith. But there are over 2,000 verses that talk about wealth, resources, and money. So in terms of significance, it's a pretty big deal in terms of how we talk about this. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew even in this time here that since the beginning of the age until now, it's going to continue to be a struggle for most of us because we just don't see money the way we see anything else in our lives. And we're always going to struggle with it. And Jesus himself, I love this particular phrase, passage, because he really tries to address it as clearly as he possibly can. This is going to be in Luke 16 if you want to turn there. He says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? This is Jesus just saying, look, if you can't be trusted with, with what everybody else has, how can you be trusted with what God wants to give you? If you are not faithful with other people's things, in terms of managing and stewarding, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Why should you? goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. And maybe you've heard this taught before or spoken about, but you need to understand the context of this. No one can serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, and you've probably heard it say, and money, right? But, the, but I like the NLT because it kind of breaks it out. Like, what does that mean? Well, you can't serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And I don't think anybody in the room would be honest enough to be able to say, based on how they see money, that they are actually enslaved to money. But what we don't usually think about is all the stuff that money costs and all the things that are tied to money that actually might have us enslaved to it. That's kind of how that works. So that's why he said you really can't serve God in money and you can't be enslaved to money because there's going to constantly be a conflict. I love this particular quote. This is from a book called How to Be Rich. We actually give out some of his uh, material in the, in, in the, uh, at the New to Journey area. But this is from one of his books called How to Be Rich. Andy Stanley says, everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern, which makes it their ultimate, right? It's either their ultimate pursuit, meaning your, you know, that your success and your drive and your ambition and your goals all have a dollar tag. They all have money at the end of it. A lot of the, the cultural you know, artists and people that sing about more money, more money, more money, you got to get that money. That's, that's just the way we're driven as a culture. Or I think this would be true for most of us. If it's not necessarily something we say is our drive, it becomes our ultimate concern. It becomes the thing we worry about the most. Will I have enough for? Will I be able to? Will I one day be able to? And so, you know, this quote is kind of saying, look, whether it's your ultimate drive or whether it's your ultimate worry, you, everybody's in danger of making it their ultimate something. Everyone's in danger of money being the ultimate in their life. And that's not where it was supposed to be. So again, 
I want to walk us through the why. This is really important to me as a pastor and as a pastor of this church to always help you understand the why, the in-depth understanding of the why behind God tells us to do certain things. I think when we lose the concept of the why, it can get really legalistic, it can get really rule-driven and really behavior-driven really fast. Here's the why. God created and established a system of priority and response. He created a system for us around this topic in terms of a priority for our life, which is why we did the priority series before we did this one, and a response in terms of our worship, in terms of our response to God through tithes and through offerings. Through tithes and through offerings. And the way I like to say it, just to help you, we're going to try to drill this into your, to your mind today, so that even if you don't do it, you're at least going to know the answer to the question, okay, about why do we tithe? Well, we tithe in terms of this priority response because of obedience and gratitude. Let's say it out loud together. Why? Obedience and, yeah, it's obedience and what? Yeah, it's gratitude and what? Right. And I would love to say, listen, and this is where, again, some people will really emphasize one or the other. I can talk about the obedience. I can read the scriptures and talk about why it is that God commanded you to do something and why it is that when you refuse to do this, you are disobeying God in the, in the most clear way you could possibly understand it. And I can really just kind of hit on the obedience factor and make it really legalistic for you. Or I can talk about the grace and the gratitude and the understanding that God has and what he really wants is our heart. He wants our engagement. He wants it to overflow that no matter what we give and no matter what we do, it overflows out of a heart of gratitude for him. But as you can probably guess, as most things with God, it's never just one thing or the other. It's actually both. You really can't talk about one without talking about the other if you want to have a healthy understanding of the system he created. The reason we tithe is because of priority and response, obedience and gratitude. Gratitude and what? Yeah, obedience and what? Yeah, you're going to know this before you leave. Okay. Let's talk about what the tithe really is. The tithe is no, it's not a magical word or anything. It's just Hebrew. Okay. It's the Hebrew definition of a tenth. It's a tenth. It's a percentage and there's a reason we're reading scripture for that, but the tithe is really just a tenth. It's, you know, I don't know why, we still use the term, but it's really a Hebrew term. The tithe is a tenth. And sometimes you'll see words in scripture that talk about the tithe or about the priority side of this in terms of first fruits. And sometimes you'll see it addressed in the other, other ways that money is also addressed in the offering side of things. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of things that have to do with offering, but money was also a part of that in terms of resources and wealth. I mean, walk me back through some Old Testament scripture. Now, some people will argue sometimes that tithing is an Old Testament thing. It's not really addressed in the New Testament. That's not true. We're going to read the whole of the scripture today in terms of how it's covered. The problem that most people don't understand is that <laughs> in the New Testament, in the early church that was filled with a lot of Jewish people, especially early on, they were using phrases that they already knew they knew the definition of because it was the Old Testament. Everybody nod your head if you're with me. Okay? So in order to find the definition, in order to find the origination, you have to go back sometimes to, to why, did, why was it such a big deal for Cain and Abel, right? Why was it such a big deal that he didn't bring the right thing to God in terms of his offering and his first fruits? Why? Because we have to go back and see the origination. We have to go back and see 
the definition. Here's a couple of great clear passages given to us in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It says, the tithe, the tenth, of everything from the land, whether grain of the soil or fruit of the tree, it belongs to the Lord. It's holy, which is another word for just set apart. It's set apart for him. It's set apart and holy to God. In Deuteronomy, it talks about our worship, talks about, uh, you know, in terms of bringing things to God. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Why? Each one must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Why is it in proportion? Why is it a tithe and not a number? Why is it not an amount, right? Why is it not just a clear thing? It's always been a, a, a percentage, if you will, a tithe, a tenth, because God wanted to, you to know that it really does depend on you. It depends on how your year was. It depends on how, the, how your life is going. It depends on you know, where you are in terms of times of, 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 of slim and times of plenty. It was always, if you have five fruit trees, your tenth was of five fruit trees. And your neighbor who had 20 fruit trees, your tithe with your tenth was from that. So it was always in proportion to what you had. Solomon, who was one of the greatest kings in Israel's time frame, wisest man other than Jesus Christ, he, he understood the, the value of, of, of not just the tithe and the first fruits and the, the offering, but he understood how it really kind of played with God's relationship with us. He says, we're supposed to honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns are going to be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Amen? That was really important back then, okay? You wanted full vats, and you wanted full barns. And there was a really clear connect the, the dots for those that understood that God was the provider of all things, right? He was the provider of all things. So, you know, God made it rain. He helped your harvest. God helped all your cattle get pregnant so they could all have babies. You know, he was, he was, a, clear, was a clear connection as to God's blessing in terms of how things went for you in terms of your wealth, in terms of your resources. You know, nowadays we have a little bit of a harder time because it's all hidden behind intellectual property and big corporations with 401ks and who's actually my provider and who actually does this. And there was no such thing as Etsy back then in terms of you just creating something and selling it. This is, a, this is one of those things that still has the base guideline that's the same. God is the provider of all things. And for that, we are to give back to him what he's given to us. That's the tithe. That's the tenth of what we bring back to God. It also has to do with our heart because, again, it comes back to a place of gratitude. We're supposed to do this in obedience and what? Yeah, gratitude and? Right. And this is King David talking in Chronicles about what this looks like. He says, everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. Now, David was the king, but he was like, no, this is still your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. He gives a few examples. Riches and honor come from you alone. For you rule over everything. Power and might is in your hand. And it's at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. God, you dole all this out. Oh, our God, we, what's the words? Yeah, gratitude. Our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. Who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Who are we that we would give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you have already given us. We're here for a moment, visitors and strangers in the land. And as our ancestors were before us, our days on the earth are like shadows 
gone and sinned without a trace. Oh, Lord, our God, even these materials we've gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name. He's like, even the stuff we brought back together to build something for you came from you. It all belongs to you. See, the part of the the attitude of gratitude, if you will, that part of not just obedience but gratitude really does have to come into play because if you don't understand what God has already blessed you with, you're going to have a hard time understanding why he would, you would give anything back to him. So it has to be obedience, but it also has to be gratitude. You also have to understand that he is the one who's blessed you with all that you have. How could you possibly give anything back to God? And it helps us in terms of our Western, fairly individualized, narcissistic culture, think that God really wants something from us. Because that's sometimes how it's portrayed. That God needs something from you. Guys, that's not true. God God doesn't need it. If he needed it, he wouldn't have given it to you. Everybody nod your head if you're with me. If he also, if he needed it and he gave it to you and you didn't want to give it back to him, he'd take it from you. Okay, that's God. Yet there's a responsibility that we need to give it. God doesn't need it. Okay? He's blessed you for that reason. But we, because of what's at stake for us in our spiritual lives and our journey, we need to give it to him. We need to be able to obey and surrender to him. We need to be able to respond with gratitude that it doesn't belong to us, that we, there's no way we can actually give you something. How arrogant of us to think that we're going to give something to God that he doesn't already have. Now he needs this from us. This is a great quote from C.S. Lewis's uh, work called Mere Christianity. He says, every faculty that you have, your power of thinking, or your moving limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. You know? This is why we talk about giving back to God. What was already his. That's what this system was created for. It helps us walk through the remember that it's not about us. It's not about what we think we own. It's about what we manage, about what we steward well. He created this system to help us fight the selfishness that would be in us, the the enslavement that can happen so easily in our lives when it comes to money. But there are still stumbling blocks that people struggle with when it comes to giving back to God when it comes to giving their tithe. And that's because, again, part of this system that God created was that it was going to go through the tabernacle. It was going to go through the temple. In the New Testament church, it was going to go through the church. And now we got all the muddy mess of the middlemen, so to speak, that really has caused some bad experiences and some really big stumbling blocks for people who have trust issues and who, again, really don't, they fight to understand why they would give it back anyway. But now you're telling me to give it to the church. Now you're telling me to go through that. And the reality is, is that I understand. I understand from, from the full benefit of, of not always being involved in the church and not always being a pastor and just attending and just tithing and giving and And then now being on the side of being a pastor and being responsible and accountable to steward what it is that we're all called individually to steward collectively. I understand the full picture of it. But we have to remember that it really isn't giving it to the church 
The church, the temple, the tabernacle didn't exist without tithes and offerings, but the reality was is that, again, God doesn't need it for that. He wants you to give it back to him. Pete, listen, there's people that I've had conversations with that if God would have just made it where they kind of put the tithe in the living room on the dining room table and, they, and on the coffee table, and they just prayed, kind of sang a small chant or something, and the money just floated away up to God, they would be more satisfied with that. Cut out the middleman, you know what I'm saying? Cut out the, cut out the questions. God's just going to take it. But that's just not what God, that's just not how God created it. It's just not what he did. In the New Testament, you know, you'll read the, the author of Hebrews is talking to the Hebrew people, talking to the church. And he said, look, here, right now, mortal men receive the time. That's the way, that's the system that God created. But there, talking about eternity, talking about God, he said, there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Here men, yes, broken, flawed men, receive the tithe and are responsible and accountable to deal with that. But you're still not giving it to men. You're not giving it to the church. You're giving it to him. You're giving it to Jesus. So God doesn't need it. Go to the next slide. God doesn't need it. We do need to give it. But we have to constantly remember that Jesus is the one who receives it. It doesn't matter if you, if you follow the path in which he's called you to follow. Jesus is still the one who receives it, even though you're using the system he's created through the tabernacle, through the temple, and through the church. You have to trust him. It's a big part of being trustworthy with what he's given you. Now, I said before, and I want to make sure you hear it clearly, this is a system. Everybody say the word system. Yeah, it's a system. You know what a system is? A system has rules. A system is predictable. A system has parameters of which it works and doesn't work. That's a system that God created. And this system that he created is so ironclad, it is so absolute, that he told us, he told God's people, test me on this. Like the system doesn't just, it's not a mystery. The system works. That's how the system was made to work. So test me in the system and see if it doesn't work the way God said it was going to work. He tells his people through the prophet in Malachi where he's talking to them. I mean, this is one of those moments, okay? This, you got to get the context of what's being said here. He says, I am the Lord and I do not change. This is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed, okay? You think he's a little angry? If you, haven't been a, if you haven't been a parent and had that moment of like, you know what, it's only because of Jesus that you're still alive. Okay? If you haven't had that moment, you're not a real parent. That's all I'm going to tell you. Okay? This is God. This is God saying, because of who I am and I don't change, is the only reason you're still here. That's the tone of this text. And he says, ever since the days of your answers, you have scorned, you've mocked, you've ignored my commands, my decrees, and you have failed to, what's the word? You have failed to obey them. You have failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return to you when we haven't gone anywhere? Well, he answers that question. This is the, the prophet having a, a conversation out loud. Should people cheat God? Well, no. And he says, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? 
when did we ever cheat you? You know? And I think that would be what most people respond. If I were to look at you and say you're cheating God, most of you would look at me with just ridiculousness. I don't understand what you're talking about. There's no way. When did I do that? When did I possibly do that? Well, he answers it and he says, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings. Do to me. Do to me means it's an obligation. It's a command. Go back to the old definition. It belongs to him. You've cheated me of those things. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Again, he's talking to all of God's people like, you're, you're living out the worst part of your days right now. It's affecting your life because you've cheated me here. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Again, going back to the temple, it says, so there will be enough food in my temple. This is just the system the way God created it. Bring them all back there so it all works the way I want it to work. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Try it. This is the only time in Scripture you'll actually see God say this. Now, we want to test God all the time. Now, just listen. We're all, we're all going to be honest here today. We want to test God all the time in ways that he, we were never supposed to test him. Oh, God, I totally want to believe you for this. And if you want me to do it, God, you just need to call me on the phone. Just call the, let it ring twice. God, I'll know it's you. Right? God, I really want to do this, and I really want to do this. And if you don't want me to do this, I need a truck to come right, right now. Just kind of bring it on. Oh, we all want to test God. It's just natural. And yet this is the area in which he said, no, 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 this system is so absolute. I want you to put me to the test on it. Try it. Tell me how wrong I am when you test me. He goes on to even say, your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. We're going to talk more next week about the nature of this, blessing and understanding how that works and how it affects our lives. But I'm just telling you, this is, this is why it's such impo- so important for you to understand this is a system. The, the, the command that's given... Okay, the, 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 the way in which God says you're to do this, you're supposed to respond with priority and a response in terms of, of, of worship. Right? It's, it's obedience and what? No, 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 you're, you're losing me. Okay, it's obedience and what? Yeah, it's gratitude and what? But it's a system you can rely on. He didn't let, he didn't, this is not a mystery, guys. It's not a mystery. And yet... Even for those who hear a message like this and you really, you really are trying to work this out, you start trying to figure out, well, how can I make it work? Okay? All the budgeters in the room are going to love this, right? How do I make it work? How do, how do I do this? How, do I, how can I make this really begin to work for me? Okay? So we start figuring out. We start putting all the numbers together and we start crunching things and, you know, algorithming things and all sorts of stuff. We start trying to figure out how to do this. And we'll, maybe we'll take away from the fun money. Maybe we won't travel as much. Maybe we'll, we'll cut back on a sport. You just try to start figuring it out. And I want you to understand, it's a natural response for you to try to figure out how to make it work. 
But for most people, I'm just saying this because I love you, most people can't figure out how to make it work. You know, you start thinking of stupid things like, well, maybe we don't feed the children, you know? Maybe we sell all the cars. You know, like, you really start kind of coming to your wit's end of how do I make this work? It doesn't make any sense. 10%, the tithe, how in the world is that even possible? And all I want to say is this, and this is where it's going to be a little bit hard for you, but just got to just listen. This is such an ironclad system that God put in place. He wants you to understand that it doesn't have anything to do with you making it work. God makes it work. God makes it work. When you do what he told you to do and you put the tithe first, you give your first fruits back to God and you do what he's called you to do. And I'm telling you from years and years of obedience and gratitude and experience that I have always lived and eat indoors. I have always, always. I have been able to save, save for things. I've been able to cover medical expenses when they're nothing and when they're something. Depends on how old you are, right? I've always been able to drive something. My kids, praise God, they're always clothed, right? They always have clothes. And I've been able to go do sports and things. I've been able to have some fun money to, 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 to be a part of things. We've been able to travel. We've been able to go places on weekends and summer vacations. And I don't know how to tell you, but we spend so much time trying to make this work. I'm just telling you, God is the one who makes it work. God is the one who makes it work. Maybe, he, maybe you don't have a car that breaks down quite as quickly. Okay? Because again, we, we, don't, we don't quite get the fact that the grape's not going to fall from the vine or the insects are going to be guarded from We don't get that. But listen, maybe the AC doesn't go out right away in your home. Right? There's a, there's a demon that lives in my car, I promise you. Trying to break it all the time. I've prayed over my car so many times. Didn't even know if it was going to make it to church today. Prayed over it this morning. Made it to church. Right? Maybe that's the case. Listen, he, he allowed the, 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 his people, the Israeli people, he allowed them to wander the desert for 40 years and their clothes and their shoes never wore out. Now, we don't all want to wear clothes for 40 years. But if God can do that, okay, if we're going to sing the song that he's a way maker and a miracle worker and a promise keeper, how are we not going to trust him in this, test him in this? Understand that God is the one who makes this work. And, and more to talk about this next week, but seriously, the more I've been doing this in my life and the more ex examples I can give you of people in our church who have followed in this system and engaged in this system and been obedient with a heart of gratitude, not only does this work and not only does this work, I always end up with a little bit of this. I always end up with more. Why? Because I can give to a mission trip when I need to give to a mission trip. And I'm able to serve locally, needs that need to happen locally. And I'm able to do even more when the church is in need. It's just how God does it. It's just how he makes it work. Here's how we'll close it. And this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Again, addressing very, something very similar that the church just needs to understand. It's just part of the system that God created. Paul says it this way. You've got to remember that a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. The farmer that only plants this will only get this. 
But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. That's how it works. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. You do not give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Okay? God loves a person who gives. What's the word? Yeah. As a church, and I promise you, there's so many people that, that my leadership, I mean, there's so much, they would love for me to start pressuring you even more. But you will never get pressure from us as a church to give, ever. You will never be guilted or manipulated to try to give to the church. We want you to understand the system. We want you to obey. We want you to have a heart of gratitude as you engage in this thing that God has for you. Not to get something from you. It's for you. He wants it to overflow from a heart of gratitude with a heart of cheer. He says, God will generously provide all that you need. He makes it work. Then you will always have everything you need. And what's the three words? Oh, we're going to really dive into this next week. Plenty left over to share with others. That's how it works. God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. Basically, Paul is helping them remind them, listen, he's involved in all of it. He provides all that you need to start, and he provides the outcome as well. That's what he does. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you, in us. Yes, you will be enriched in every way, so you can always be generous. Again, guys, this is my prayer for you as your pastor. This is my prayer for God's people, that you would understand what's at stake in your spiritual journey, in your physically, mentally, emotionally, what's at stake when you refuse to obey God in this command. You do, I mean, you do not have to believe me. You do, not have to, you do not have to always agree with me. But you are going to have to come to a point when you read Scripture and you understand what it says and you choose not to do something that you just choose to disobey God. And you're just going to have to be honest with him about that. I don't want to do it. I'm going to disobey you. That's it. When it comes to the heart of engagement and the heart that just overflows with gratitude because you do remember that you're not the owner, you're the steward. You do remember that it's God who gave you everything. There's nothing you can give back to him that's not already his. My goal is that you'll find the combination of both. That you will remember that it's obedience and, yeah, it's gratitude and, that's a necessary response. So the answer to the question, this is why we tithe. This is why we tithe. It's obedience and gratitude. That's it. It doesn't have to be any more complicated. He wants you to put it to the test. It's never too late to put God to the test in a system that he's called you to test him in. And I promise you, just as the scripture said, when you take the step, he will be there. You return to me, I return to you. You take the step, I meet you there. It happens every time. We've done 90-day giving challenges at our church where we said, look, just start tithing. Not giving, you start tithing. You start tithing and tell me God doesn't show up and do everything that we said he was going to do. We'll write, we'll write you a check to give you your money back. The church doesn't need your money. We'll write the check and give it to you back. You take the test. You test God. You take the step. And he will be faithful when you start to be faithful.
with what he's given you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your incredible word that challenges us. And so God, today my heart and my prayer for those in the room, for those who are here this morning, for those watching later, is that we would understand the unique balance of obedience and gratitude that comes with our response in giving to you. That we'd understand the the practical side of this, which we want to try to always try to figure out how we can make it work. And yet, God, you are the one who so clearly said, don't worry, you're the one who makes it work. God, for the the testimonies of the people in our church who have taken these steps, who who have begun that journey of tithing, how all of them Continue to come back over and over again, over again and say, this is the best decision we've ever made. This is, the, this is what was missing in my life. Oh God, for the people that have never experienced that, that they would begin to put you to the test. It's only by the grace that we've received from you that, that you've allowed us up to this point to, to steal and, from, and to rob from you. To, to be selfish with the things that we think we own. It's only by your grace that you haven't completely destroyed us, that you haven't completely punished us. But God, we don't want to live there. We want to live in obedience. We want to live in a place of gratitude because you are so, you have so richly blessed every one of us. That's my prayer today, God, that we would begin to move in that direction, that your spirit and your power has already begun to change hearts today. Now move us to a place to trust the system that you created for us, not to get something from us. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.